Our Old Testament reading comes from the book of Joel. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God? Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants, let the bridegroom leave his chamber and the bride her cha- let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber between the vestibule and the altar let the priests the ministers of the lord weep and say spare your people o lord make not your heritage a reproach a byword among the nations why should they say among the peoples where is their god then the lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied. And I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit, the fig tree and vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, 
and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. The word of the Lord. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the um, roaring of the seas and the waves and people fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the earth and the world. For the powers of heavens shall be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, Straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. When he to- then he told him a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day will come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place to stand before the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. This morning, we're continuing our series, 
and the minor prophets. Last week, Christian spoke on Obadiah. Now, it's my first time to present a whole book of the gospel, but don't be impressed. It's only three chapters long. But that brings up an important point. They're referred to as the minor prophets, but they're not minor in importance, only in length as compared to the books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. In your church email, you got a notice about the Bible project. The Church of the Cross offered a source on the video for you to, a YouTube for you to look at in anticipation of this morning, and I would commend it to you and others like it because they give an incredible introduction, a summary of the book of Joel, with a very engaging, with charts and diagrams and all sorts of things. And I, in fact, threatened to put up a screen here and just watch one of those videos instead of me speaking. But also, I'd like to point out that there are a number of Old Testament students in our congregation, and in fact, an Old Testament scholar. And I would commend them to you for conversation after the service and in the weeks following. While Elizabeth and I lived in England, we were introduced to a man by the name of Dr. Patrick Dixon. He was a medical doctor. His clinic was in Soho in the theater district of the central part of London. He was one of the first to identify AIDS. He was known as a futurist. Now, Dr. Dixon is a believer. He's written a number of books, and his list of paid speaking engagements is actually very impressive. I learned that a futurist looks at the headlines and current events, and based on logic, facts, history, trends, and other data, he offers conclusions and a prognosis of what will happen in the future. A futurist is a valuable resource to business and political leaders, particularly Now, Dr. Dixon and others like him that you may know are like a modern-day version of the prophet Joel, though I doubt the prophet was in high demand by the CEOs of his day. When I was in high school in Hong Kong back in the 1960s, I took advantage of a reference book called Cliff Notes. Some of the teachers here may not approve, but they provided an easy and understandable summary of what I considered complicated or difficult books. So when we start our study today of the book of Joel, I would like to offer a 30-second summary, a, a short cliff note, a Reader's Digest condensed version of the book. So here we go. Under God, the prophet Joel highlighted current events. And pointing to the headlines of the day, he reminded God's people of sin and brokenness in their world and in their own lives. The prophet alerted them to a future disastrous event. He referred to it as the day of the Lord. His hope for outcome was that they would recognize God's greatness, that they would see God with confession and turn to God for his mercy and restoration prior to God's judgment on the nations. Now, as we begin a more detailed study, pray with me for the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Heavenly Father, this is your word. It speaks, it references your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We just ask, please, now that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand this book and what you would be saying to us today. 
So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, I'd like to introduce you to the man God called as his spokesperson. We know that the name Joel means Yahweh is God. Jehovah is God. Joel is the son of Pethuel. However, Joel's father's name is not mentioned anywhere else in the Old Testament. In fact, even the time period Joel was writing is not really known for certain. It could have been anywhere from the 9th to the 4th centuries B.C. That's a 500-year spread. So, actually, the prophet Joel is really an unknown person. But the fact that we know so little about the person God calls is actually helpful for us today. Because rather than focusing on the man Joel, the prophet, our focus is on the one who called him to prophesy and to minister. It was the God of Israel, Yahweh, who commissioned, who empowered and gave Joel the words and the authority to deliver a potent message to the elders of Judah, the southern kingdom. At that time, Judah was in a state of disarray and decline. A recent locust plague, a massive invasion of locusts, had stripped every green thing from the land. Judah's economy was absolutely devastated. It was a time of national mourning, as Joel writes in the first chapter. All the trees of the field are dried up, and gladness dries up from the children of man. Joel's writing style can be described as bold, succinct, grim, hopeful in places, and even poetically humorous. Here's a taste of how he describes the disaster, and note note the four words of description that he has for the locusts. What the cutting locusts left, the swarming locusts have eaten. What the swarming locusts left, the hopping locusts have eaten. What the hopping locusts left, the destroying locusts has eaten. And it's Joel also seems to sympathize with the drunkards of the day. In verse 5 of chapter 1, he says, Awake, you drunkards, and weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. And in verse 18, he even sympathizes with the beasts of the field. He says, How the beasts groan, the herds of cattle are perplexed, because there is no pasture for them. Now, I'm trying to think of a field of cows, of cattle, how they are wandering around bewildered and perplexed. To Joel, everything, every living thing has faced disaster. God tells Joel to point to the headlines of the day, the physical disasters, the devastation of the locusts, to illustrate things that are very important on God's heart that we would know. The first is the day of the Lord is coming. The theme of judgment is unmistakable in the book of Joel. He prophesied that a day would come when the sovereign God would judge his people and the nations who rebelled against him. We know from history, however, that Joel's warning went largely unheeded. As a result, God's judgment was partially brought about. However, it is important to recognize that the day of the Lord is still coming. Christ will return. God in his sovereignty will execute a final great and terrible judgment on those who have rejected 
him. Further, we see in this writing that God uses physical calamity to get our attention. Joel writes, he wants us to see how nature, events like famine, plague, violent weather, evading armies, and celestial phenomena mentioned in different parts of the Bible are used to get our attention. And Joel writes, wanting us to contemplate how the physical hardships of his day, the suffering and earthly disaster, ultimately pale in comparison to the day of the Lord. The prophet wants us to understand the enormity and the seriousness of God's judgment. In the first chapter of Joel, God instructs Joel to tell the leaders of that day to tell their children and their children's children and their children after that stories of the destruction. And a family story comes to my mind from, that's been passed down through the generations. Both sets of grandparents immigrated from Sweden. My uh, grandfather was the oldest of seven boys, and he decided that uh, to divide the small farm seven ways was just impractical. So as an 18-year-old, he immigrated to America met my grandmother, who's also from the same part of Sweden. They married. They were able to acquire a small farm near Stoneman Valley in northern Illinois. My mother was born, and a few years later, uh, my aunt. And when she was just a few years old, my aunt, a storm came. A huge uh, tornado came through, and the family hid in the potato cellar. And during the storm, with all the racket going on outside, my aunt lifted up her face to my grandfather and said, Daddy, do we have to die now? Well, they came out of the potato cellar and everything was gone. But the story that has been passed down to us is not just the disaster, but the hope and the presence of God in the midst of it all. And that brings us to another point Our ultimate hope is God's presence. Joel was the first to prophesy about the Holy Spirit. It came to fruition, and we read about it in the book of Acts, our epistle reading this morning. For believers, God's presence and work in our lives is the source of our greatest joy and ultimate hope. And yet, understand this, yet the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as seen in the day of Pentecost is only a small taste of the final power and glory and majesty of God's ultimate presence in our midst. When he establishes finally his kingdom, there will be another great, huge, much larger release of his power and glory. So not only does God want to point to the judgment to come, but the fact that more of himself will also be coming, more of his presence, more of his goodness that awaits for all of us who put our faith in him. The fourth point that God wanted Joel to communicate was that God's judgment also displays his mercy, as we've already seen. Within Joel's vision of coming judgment and destruction, there is also a promise of hope, of restoration, of blessing and prosperity for the righteous who call on the name of the Lord. For those who have been made right with God through the atoning salvation of Jesus Christ. For those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The judgment of God is not something to dread. 
for those who have trusted in him, we will stand in his presence on that judgment day, not in our own strength, not in our own goodness, but because of the righteousness that he has bestowed on us and given to us because of the rebirth that has taken place by faith in him. And it makes us ask the question this morning, do we know him? Have we put our faith in him? Those who know God and have been made might with him, who have put their faith in him, will stand before the judge in confidence. And again, as we've said, not in our own strength, but because of what he has done for us. God's blessing and restoration will be poured out on his people. For those who seek the Lord, who turn from their sinful ways, the day of the Lord is a day to be anticipated, yes, with awe, yes, with a sense of foreboding, but also with joy and anticipation and with great hope and expectation. But in addition to these four points, these four lessons, I would like to also highlight some things about God that we uh, see in the book of Joel. The book of Joel reveals the heart of God. With all its dire warnings, this book is also chock full of some of the most beautiful hope-inspiring promises in the Bible. For in it, God reveals his heart. He revealed it back then to the people of Judah and to us today. And, is, and isn't that what God's warnings are always for? To show us his heart, to give us the opportunity to experience him and his promises and all of his goodness. Listen to what Joel says about God. He writes, God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Fear not, for the Lord has done great things. The Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. And not only for his people, but also for God's creation, Joel writes, for all living things that have suffered so much, he says to them even, Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are yet green again. So the book of Joel reveals the heart of God. It also extends to us an invitation of God. Midway through the book of Joel, after all the dire warnings, God extends an invitation to the people then and to us today. And Joel writes, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. It is clear that God desires that the circumstances of our times and the individual things that we are facing in our own respective lives and families will bring us ultimately to him. He continues to extend that invitation to us today. So we've seen God's heart. We've seen and heard of his invitation. And the book of Joel highlights some of God's incredible promises. Here are just a few. First of all, judgment on the enemies of God. Joel writes, For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. This is a symbolic location for the place and the time of ultimate judgment. And Joel continues, And I will enter into judgment with them on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel, because they have been scattered among the nations 
and my land has been divided up. So God promises judgment, but he also promises restoration. And Joel writes, Be glad, O children of Israel, and rejoice in the Lord your God. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied And praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dwelt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and there is no one else. When we respond to God, he somehow takes calamity and makes it good. We don't know how, we don't know the timing, But we have this promise, and it's such an incredible promise that he will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And in addition, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of his presence in our lives and in our midst. Joel writes, And it shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. What an incredible promise that we have the promise of God's presence. And then we have the promise of salvation. Joel writes, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Joel also summarizes God's ultimate desire for us. And that desire is that we would know him. Joel writes, So that you shall know that I am the Lord your God. God's heart is that we would know him, that we would know the salvation he offers, that we would know and experience the promises of restoration and the hope of his personal presence and activity in our own lives through his Holy Spirit and the fact that he will be with us in all that we face. Joel's message is actually timeless and applicable to us today And to all believers of all generations, Joel made use of very earthy illustrations, the locusts devouring the land, to help us to understand, to get a picture of what he was trying to communicate. To the people of Judah and to us today, he speaks in ways that we can relate to and understand. So as we close the study of the book of Joel, we ask the question, what are the locusts eating in our day? What are the signs of devastation that we're hearing about and seeing about in our world? We actually live in a world full of headlines, highlighting many and a variety of calamities. But the question is, how will we relate to the headlines of our times? How do we relate to the circumstances of our own lives and families? How will we as individuals connect the dots to what God might be saying to us through these things? How will we, how will the headlines turn us to him? Let's, as we close, ask God 
to help us grasp his sovereignty, his power, and his might. Let's ask God to help us to comprehend the seriousness of judgment. Let's ask him to help us understand and know without a shadow of a doubt the hope of restoration in God's presence through his spirit. Our gospel reading this morning records a time when Jesus was walking with his disciples and records Jesus speaking to his disciples. And he was saying to them, when you see all of these things happening, he says, look up. When you see these things happening, it says in the passage, straighten up, raise your heads, look up to Jesus, see him, know him as your restoration. Amen.